Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Saturday, February 19th, 2022. This week was crazy. I mean, things I never thought I would hear about happening, like Brad Bird's ray gun coming back from the dead, or the long-delayed Coyote versus Acme project would actually go forward let alone a, a Bloom County animated series. Amazing bits of news. But then you had your trifecta over at, at The Wrap this week and landed all three of these interviews and got these pieces out there inside of a single week. So let's start with the big one. You got to talk to Lin-Manuel Miranda about not only Encanto, but his live-action version of The Little Mermaid. And you followed that with speaking to Chris Miller and Phil Lord about episode six of Apple TV's After Party, which is animated? Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. And then to cap that, you got to talk with Dave Wasson, who executive produced the Cuphead Shadow based on the hugely popular game, which debuted on Netflix this Friday, uh, February 18th. We're going to get through to talk about each of these interviews on the latter part of today's show, uh, but first the news. And the news on fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And then, just as we, Drew and I were putting together the show, we had all this illumination news break. Yeah. Not a surprise that we're getting a Despicable Me 4. Chris Renau, who directed the first two Despicable Me's, is coming back to direct the fourth in the series. Also nice to hear that Steve Carell is coming back to voice Gru, which I think you pointed out, not only Hotel Transylvania, Transformania, but also Ice Age, what, the, the, the Ice, Ice Age Adventures of, of Buck, Buck Wild? Wild. Yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> You know, it really rolls a, off the tongue, Jim. It does, it does. And this fourth Despicable Me movie should not be confused with Minions, The Rise of Gru, which, after two years of, of delay due to COVID, it comes arrives in theaters July 1st of this year. It's a prequel to the original Despicable Me from July of 2010, but it's also a sequel to the first Minions movie, uh, which, uh, July 15th, and, oh, speaking of which, did you see... They finally have sort of revealed what the replacement for Shrek 4D is going to be at Universal Florida. Well, I saw our our mutual friend Alicia was talking about it being a moving walkway attraction. Is this yeah. what you're hearing? Yes, but, okay. but did you see what you're moving through, though? Is it the uh, the convention from the first movie? Villain Con, yeah. yeah. In a weird sort of way, it's kind of fitting, because remember, in that movie, Villain Con was supposed to be happening in Orlando. Oh, that's right. In in the 60s or something, right? There we go. So okay. I don't entirely get it, but okay. I guess it creates an illumination neighborhood, sort of like what they've got. At uh, Universal Hollywood with the Secret Life of Pets, the ride across the street from Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem. Right. Uh, but Listen, you know me, I love the the Secret Life of Pets ride, so if it's anything close to that, that level and that level of cleverness in terms of mixing screens mm -hmm. and animatronics, I'm in, Jim. I'm ready. Cool, cool. Put cool, me cool. on the moving walkway. 
with this announcement in between Despicable Me 4 and Minions Rise of Gru, there's another Illumination film coming that, that you seem very excited about. Yeah, there's a new one called Migration, and it, mm. the official logline is that it follows a family of ducks who, after convincing their overprotective father to take them on vaca- the vacation of a lifetime, migrate from New England to the Bahamas by way of New York City. And I'm excited because one of the filmmakers behind this movie also co-directed Ernest and Celestine, which is a very charming French traditionally animated movie from a few years ago. And did you see that both of these movies are being written by Mike White, the creator of White Lotus and the writer of School of Rock and a bunch of other amazing things? Interesting person to bring to the table. Yes. We've got all of these films coming, you know, like right on the money for July 4th weekend mm-hmm. uh, for three years in a row. But they, we can't forget about the other Illumination production, which is coming in December this year, right? Yes. The even more rolls off the tongue, Jim, the untitled Mario film coming uh, this Christmas, mm-hmm. which if that is not going to be in everybody's stocking, I don't know what is. But that's the one with Chris Pratt. As Mario, Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach, mm-hmm. Charlie Day as Luigi, Jack Black as Bowser, and Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. So mm-hmm. That's a, a surprising amount of stuff coming out of Illumination. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's kind of the Pixar schedule. Two a year, then one, you know, the following year, that sort of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And again, we've been waiting for a while for a Minion Rise of Guru. We're supposed to... Originally come out in theaters in July of 2020, but got pushed back due to COVID-related production issues. But waiting two years, that's nothing compared to how long we've been waiting for a movie version of Ian Fraser's Wiley Coyote versus Acme Company. That Did you ever read the original New Yorker article? For this? No, this is one of those things that there's been a tab open in my browser for about... Mm five years and i mm-hmm. have not re- read it but i promise i will read it before the movie comes out which is looks like it's finally nearing actuality after yeah. all these years this is a piece that ran in the new yorker back in february of 1990 it was caused kind of a sensation then because it was written like it was a lawsuit in fact I, I pulled a quote just to give you sort of a taste of it it's like mr coyote states that on 85 separate occasions he has purchased from the Acme company here and in after known as the defendant. Though the company's through the company's mail order division, certain products that cause him bodily harm due to defects in manufacture or improper cautionary labeling. Everyone thought, I mean, this is a really funny idea that Wiley finally takes Acme to court because they're the ones who tripped him up from getting the Roadrunner. And so they talked about how would we turn this into a screenplay? In fact, I remember them talking about this back in the mid-90s, where at one point there was some talk about Coyote versus Acme being the follow-up project to the original Space Jam, which arrived in theaters November of 96. We jump ahead to August of, of 2018. Warner Brothers finally decides to get serious about this. They hire John and Josh Silberman. They're the ones who take a run at adapting this for this New Yorker piece and turning it into a full-length script for a live-action animated hybrid film. Now, Coyote vs. Acme is being thought of as a possible follow-up for Space Jam, a new legacy, which the LeBron thing got announced in February of 2014, I want to say, and but it still took them five years or so 
to finally get a script they liked and get it before the camera. And Drew gets to hear, uh, you know, and see things a lot earlier than the normal folks. But I, I want to take a moment here to talk about Space Jam, A New Legacy, where I want to say it was two and a half years ago where you were telling me about what you'd heard about Space Jam, A New Legacy, about, you know, the whole notion of it's not just Looney Tunes. It's the whole Warner's IP, as in they were going to bring in Harry Potter. They were going to bring in Casablanca. They were going to be bringing the DC superheroes. Yeah. Was there anything that you remember from the early, early, early stuff that didn't make it into Space Jam, well, A New Legacy? I had heard that they were actually going to like license like uh, Jared Leto's likeness for the Joker, which I don't think ended up happening. He was more in the background, but those were the kind of things, you know, I heard that everything related to Potter was very Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, they had Mm -hmm. to really finesse all of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, who knows? I mean, there could be that stuff in the movie and you just not even notice it because there's so much kind of visual noise. Mm-hmm. In that oh. movie. I remember when the film came out and did the HBO Max thing that the people who spent days doing image capture and okay, in the background. That get you know, right. You know, so Yeah. There were some weird things about that movie. The crowd cycles are very weird because it doesn't look like they were totally matched up to what was going on on the court. So you just see characters mm-hmm. sort of like going like this all the time in the background. And it's like, Oh boy. What, but what think about here? that. Isn't that also very much in the tradition of the original space jam? Cause that's true. Uh, oh, I just remember the background animation on that. It's like, you couldn't draw more than a, a five second long cycle. And get oh yeah. Character. You'd see them all around the stadium. It would be the same oh, five characters. Yeah. Oh yeah. Bad, bad, yeah. bad, bad. But anyway, okay, we, we were talking Warners, we were talking DC and the superheroes. What intrigues me about Coyote versus Acme is who's now taken on the project? Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, back, I think in 2018, mm-hmm. it was announced that James Gunn mm-hmm. was going to be a part of the project. And mm-hmm. so he is producing. Sammy Birch is now writing. And Dave mm-hmm. Green, who did, did you ever see Earth to Echo? Oh, yeah. It's a very charming movie that Disney actually made and ended up selling at the last minute to Relativity before release. Mm -hmm. But that guy, Dave Green, is going to be directing. And I think, you know, I think we're all very happy to have the John Cena, Mm -hmm. James Gunn collaboration continue after I thought Peacemaker was a real success on uh, HBO Max and is coming back for season two. Yeah, but kind of an interesting week for that show in that. They announced the second season pickup before the finale. And then what did you make of the final moments of the finale? Well, here's a spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen it, skip forward Mm -hmm. a couple of minutes. But yeah, yeah, I'm assuming you're referring to the Justice League showing up after the big battle. And (laughs) you're too late. You're too (laughs) late. (laughs) (laughs) Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller doing a little cameo there. You know, I knew something big was going to happen because... I got to watch the season about, I don't know, six weeks ago, but they Mm -hmm. did not give me the last one. So I said, oh, something must be big in this Mm -hmm. one. And it really was pretty shocking to see them. And 
and their interaction, which is very un-PC, so we cannot uh, repeat uh, the no, dialogue. No, absolutely. <laughs> but, but the thing that intrigues me, is like, I, I think James Gunn was in an interview about the finale, talked about the fact that, that when it came to the Flash's appearance, and, uh, all right, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they shot that in Atlanta at the Marvel Studios complex, right? Yeah, I think it was at, well, who knows where they shot it, because I went and visited the set of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, mm-hmm. and they were in a disused convention center, so they, they could have been anywhere mm-hmm. in the great state, in the great city of Atlanta. But yeah, he said that Marvel, like that Ezra came to the set and they shot it on the Marvel set, which is just so funny to me that they would let that That's go crazy. down. That's crazy. Yeah. And speaking of crazy, again, Raygun. After all of these years, Brad Bird's Raygun is getting made. I've read the script, but you have a, a physical copy of this thing, right? Uh, yes, and I think my the version that I have is from 96, I want to say. Yeah, uh, that's how long Brad's been trying to make this. And Brad was going to make it for Turner, right? And But yeah. then Turner gets swallowed by Time Warner. And Brad's like, well, can I have my movie back? And it's like, no. But if you direct Iron Giant for us and it's a success, as the follow-up, we'll do your Ray Gun movie. I mean, it, it's in fact, I, I was thinking the other day, this reminds me of Ron and John. Wonderful. I was going to say that. <laughs> there we go. We'll explain. Ron and John wanted to make Treasure Planet before... I want to say they wanted to do it right after Little Mermaid, right? Yep, that's okay. a, that's whatever I was heard. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then they get conned into doing Aladdin, and they say, "Well, your next one can be Treasure Planet," and then they get conned into doing Hercules, and then they finally say, "I'm assuming either we're gonna leave and do mm-hmm. this somewhere else, or we're gonna do it at Disney." So they finally let them do it. Do you think if Treasure Planet had come out? either in the Aladdin slot or, or the Hercules slot, it, it, things might have gone differently. Because remember, it, it opened up against, was it the first Harry Potter movie or the, the second? Oh, I don't remember which one. I didn't. I don't remember that, that that was the case, but that sounds exactly right. I mean, I think a lot of what makes Treasure Planet charming is that mixture of CGI and traditional animation, whether it's you know, all the robotic parts on the pirate or whatever, or the, or that city, that kind of oh, crescent yeah. moon city. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think they could have done it back then. I mean, I don't know. Look, okay. look rewatch Titan AE, Jim, and tell me what, <laughs> what that looked like back then. Excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> okay. To drop back into the Reagan thing. So again, Brad agrees his deal. So he, he starts directing Iron Giant 97. Movie comes out in theaters in August of 99 underperforms but remember it eventually becomes a, a beloved cult classic in fact actually gets to go back and insert film uh, scenes that, that he wanted to put in originally right yeah those are great but because iron giant isn't a hit Warner Rose doesn't have to honor its deal dad insult or injury they hand on they hang on a ray gun but brad it, it works out john lasseter calls him he goes up to emeryville makes the incredibles and then Ratatouille and 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 then directs a couple of live action things, right? Uh, Ghost Protocol. Yes, little movies, little movies. And now I think we do have to talk about the Lasseter part of the story here because 
John was asked to leave because certain employees at Pixar and Disney had talked of unwanted advances and you know, a hugging, you know, stuff like that. Yes, he was the real live Lotso. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, but in January of 2019, Brad actually defends John. He's doing an interview with the Daily Beast, and there were a lot of gentlemen who were shown the door during the, this period, and among them was Harvey Weinstein. And Brad, you know, said, look, I don't put John in the same category as Weinstein. I'm an old friend of John's and I don't see him in black and white. I see him as a person like anyone else. He was a, a person who was very protective of us at a time when we needed it. So my feelings about him are a bit more complicated. And there weren't a whole lot of people defending John Lasseter in, in January of 2019. In fact, how long was he there when Emma Thompson walked out the door? She she actually exited luck, right? Yeah, which makes me think that there was more of a story there because she was in Brave for mm. John Lasseter so many years ago. So I wonder if there mm. was something else there, but she was very mm. public about leaving that production. So... This takes on a whole interesting color because of the notion of Brad defends John, and then here we are three years later, and we learn about somebody cut a deal, Warner's let go of Reagan, and after 27 years, is it? Brad's finally going to get to make this movie, which, by the way, seems to be quite a departure from the family-friendly luck, and which comes out August of this year, and then the Alan Menken spellbound musical thing. Do you want to read the story description of a combination of Raiders of the Lost Ark and a Sam Spade movie, right? Yeah, it takes inspiration from the two genres that were very popular in the 30s, which were mm. detective stories and sci-fi, and that mm -hmm. he wanted to meld the kind of art deco style of the 30s mm -hmm. with the grittier aspects of detective fiction, Mm -hmm. And the logline, at least from the 90s version, was the last private detective, who is Ray Gunn, hired mm -hmm. to investigate the alleged infidelity of a pop singer named Venus Envy. Navigating a world co-inhabited by aliens and humans, Gunn finds that Envy is being set up by her scheming husband to take the fall for the murder of her body double. Mm -hmm. So I've been telling people it's kind of like his Blade Runner but even more kind of indebted to the pulpy fiction that he loved and was very popular at the period. But as I was telling you off air, Jim, that Bird is not the last big name in animation that is headed to Skydance, that we will be getting some news about that soon. And, and also that Bird is kind of rehiring some people that you're going to really love to see on the project. I'm so glad you mentioned that because Matthew Robbins, who... From uh, the 90s, uh, Dragon Slayer, and is it Batteries Not Included? Is that his Batteries well? Not Included. I think he wrote some episodes of Amazing Stories, mm -hmm. and yeah. But he works on the original screenplay of Ray Gunn with Brad, and he's coming back. In fact, you've interviewed him, haven't you, uh, Matthew? Or I've never interviewed Matthew, but I've always wanted to. He also, like me, was grew up in San Antonio, Texas, so we have oh. a lot of common ground there. But mm -hmm. I actually wonder if they're just going to reuse the same script, maybe just mm -hmm. tweak it a little bit and get it going again. We got the—he's wow. seventy-six, Jim. We got to get this. We got to get this out the door. 
Yeah, so. yeah, but Matthew's having quite a year for animation because didn't yeah. he also do the screenplay for Guillermo del Toro's stop motion Pinocchio, which we're getting from Netflix this year, right? Yeah, yeah I love that they are like a little creative team. They've worked together a long time since Mimic, I think, and have oh written a God. bunch of screenplays together, including the great uh, Crimson Peak uh, from a few years ago. Yeah. What a movie. On the other hand, there is a famous animation test that it's available right now, folks. You can go to YouTube and watch it. I don't can't guarantee how long it's going to be there, but you have to use the search terms Eric Goldberg and then Opus. Yes, Opus. Yeah. Okay, so this is for an Opus movie that was going to be made back in I want to say this predates two thousand. This was during the period where Eric Goldberg. After he directed Pocahontas, he walked away from Disney for a couple of years and was trying to get a bunch of stuff going. In fact, didn't he make a run at Curious George? And I want to see there was a where the wild things were, too. Speaking of Brad Bird, wasn't he doing a Curious George at one point, too? That's another one we should probably talk about at some point, because there were so many people who tried to. And, right. and I got at least two different Curious George screenplays in the basement that are all horrible but anyway um yeah so you can look at this cg test which it's eric goldberg working computer animation do we we think it's john cleese the voice or somebody doing a cleese impression it sounds a lot like cleese i heard that at the time that david niven was going to be the voice for the penguin no Um, yeah this was a version that apparently was being directed by uh, Berkeley too. So wow. I don't know what happened to it, but the test is not great. No, it is, it is not. And and what's interesting is if the stories are true, the the one other time they made an attempt at doing a breathed animation with the Bloom County characters, the uh, A Wish for Wings that worked in, right. in ninety one. In fact, it came like two years after the Bloom County strip first shut down. Brassett supposedly hated it. So, oh, interesting. Plugging that bit of info in with what you just had said about him actually directing the thing. Okay, the reason Drew and I are talking about Bloom County and animation is like we just got this announcement that Fox Television is collaborating with Brassett himself to come to do a Bloom County animated series. Though I think you were pointing out that the really exciting thing is who's doing the animation. Yes, it is Bento Box, who we mm. love, who mm. is doing the Bob's Burgers movie right now and a bunch of mm. other great things. And they are really wonderful. And I'm sure we'll do this in that kind of 2D style of computer animation that has become the de facto, I would mm-hmm. say. Like, isn't that that's I don't think any animation is really hand drawn anymore on no. TV, right? No. Okay. Okay. But speaking of 2D and CG. We finally got our trailer for Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And what's cool about working with Drew is he hears things very, very early. (laughs) And again, this had to be a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, when you first told me about the gimmick for this film and then immediately said, that's got to go in the vault. You can't talk about it. But Chip is... It's supposed to at least look like he's in 2D, like from the, the animated series from the, the 80s. 
Yes. But that Dale was going to be CG because he'd had the procedure. What did you think after all all this time of hearing all of this stuff in a bit? What did you think of the trailer? It looks really crazy and fun. I mean, you know, we were talking about it earlier and I said it really brings attention to its own kind of meta-ness mm-hmm. in a way that Roger Rabbit did not because Roger Rabbit is just a detective story where some of the characters are mm-hmm. animated. This one is very much like, whoa, we're back. It's here. Whoa, whoa. And it's like, okay, we get it. We get it. But Roger Rabbit is there, Jim. So that's... He is. And share what you've heard about Roger I've heard that what you see in the in the trailer is all that you get of wow. Roger Rabbit in the movie, which is sort of sad. But I think Jim and I have detailed on the show before just how complicated the relationship is with Roger Rabbit because it is co-owned by Senor Spielbergo and the Walt Disney Company. And that, that yeah. always creates a lot of friction around how and where that character is used. But some of the detail with Chip and Dale Rescue, some of it is genuinely crazy. I mean, if you go back and watch the scene with Monterey Jack, where they meet up with him and he's talking about his terrible cheese addiction, did you notice that they put him in the very same bathrobe that Jeff Bridges wears in The Great Lebowski? No. I kind of love that. (laughs) By the way... I think the trailer ends with a just a 2022, but you were saying we do have a release date for this. Yes, May 20th, 2022. So this will be your pre-Memorial Day blitz. Uh, It'll be the week before Obi-Wan Kenobi starts. Whatever the streaming equivalent of sweeps is, Jim, I think that must be. I was about to say, does does sweeps count in in the streaming world? But sweeps used to be such a big deal. Yeah, and I, I don't know if they even are a thing anymore. I mean, television, there's new stuff on every week, so I, I don't know. By the way, while we're still on the topic of Rescue Rangers, the movie debuts in May, but on March 9th, uh, Mickey's Toontown at Disneyland is closing. And scheduled to reopen in early 2023. They're freshening up the land out ahead of the West Coast version of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway debuting. But Disney Parks revealed just last week that during this year-long downtime, other attractions in the land will be reimagined in new and exciting ways. Uh, Goofy's house, Donald's boat, and Gadget's go coaster. So we're going to lose Gadget? I guess. Do you think it'll be a clone of, what's the one in Florida, the Barnstormer? Possibly. That would be an uh, an interesting way to go. Because I know the fact that Goofy's was a bounce house. And I think, how long has it been since Disney Legal actually yeah. allowed <laughs> it, anybody to bounce? It was you like know. six months later. It was like, nope, no, yeah. no bouncing in this bathroom. But- there yeah. we go. There we go. But but speaking of theme park attractions, just today, I saw three different sites doing stories riffing off of your interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda, where you got him to talk about how he had talked with Bob Chapek about how there should be an Encanto theme park attraction. We'll get to that story on the second half of today's show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You scored three amazing interviews last week, and the first one was the Dave Wasson interview. He's the executive producer of The Cuphead Show, which debuted just this past Friday, February 18th, on Netflix. Dave's been a very busy guy for the past five years. Can you talk about the show he was working on prior to Cuphead? Yeah, I mean, it's a little show that you and I never talk about, Jim, which oh, is the, no. the Mickey Mouse shorts on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Which, did the wonderful winter of Mickey Mouse just it premiere? also just the uh, same oh. day as Cuphead. Yep, yep. We gotta so, watch. Have, have you watched it yet? I have not, but I can't tell you how many people have sent me the Easter egg where I guess at one point Mickey and Minnie go skiing by a sign for the Mineral King ski area. Oh my God. That is, that is like the reason we watch these shorts. They're so good. That is so awesome. Um, Yeah. So Dave was one of the kind of founding members of that show. So obviously he's very adept at this kind of rubber hose style of animation and translating things from the 1930s aesthetic mm-hmm. to today, although he, you know, he very much acknowledges that they use a lot of 50s Mickey in mm-hmm. their reference, and you know, they really pull from every era of Mickey Mouse oh, uh, no, on no, that show in such no. a beautiful way. Yeah. I love you. You got Dave to talk about what was different about the Mickey Mouse shorts is they told Paul. Make them funny. Yeah, and he said they really had free reign. And mm-hmm. and it's really interesting because those shows really do push the limit in a lot of ways. <sighs> I mean, I think the the ghoul friend episode was the first one that I saw and said, oh, my God, these are totally unhinged and they are letting them do whatever they want. And uh, still seems to be the case all these years later. Yeah, so. that's been half the fun of the wonderful world of Mickey Mouse set of shorts is they get to go longer. And so, you know, that instead of the three-minute runtime, the seven-minute runtime, and they've done some great, great stuff. But Dave uh, lands the gig on Cuphead, which is kind of interesting because the game debuts in, in 2017. And wasn't there like a proof of concept or sort of a, a you know piece of animation out ahead of the actual game that, that showed off what they were going to try to do? And, you know, it was... You know, it was like Fleischer back from the dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was all 
actual cell animation. And and Dave told me that he's not a gamer, but no. he watched this, all of the run throughs on mm-hmm. YouTube, mm-hmm. which I, I, you know, it is a very hard game. I, I have mm-hmm. not gotten very far in it either, but that's how he learned about it. And then he mm-hmm. said when he heard that they were making a show, he immediately jumped at the chance to translate it because it's just all the things that he loves. And obviously from, from Mickey Mouse to this, it's a perfect, you know, transition. Oh, no, no, no. Makes perfect sense. But at the same time, the notion that trying to make 3d animation look like 2d and not only that look like a very specific type of animation that came from a certain era in the history of of animation and particularly from Fleischer Studios. That was tough. Yeah, I mean, he he described how Harmony works, Mm -hmm. which is basically a program that is used by all of our favorite shows, Jim, Mm -hmm. you know, Hilda and Kid Cosmic and all of these shows and Mickey Mouse. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and and, um, Mm -hmm. they did things like what I was so amazed by, they put this like drop shadow on the mm-hmm. characters to make it look like an animation cell where the light was slightly off and is hitting the cell and creating a shadow. And they put in fake scratches and dirt and things. And And he described it as being like a pristine print in the 30s that had just been in a vault somewhere. So it's not like totally scuffed up and like mm-hmm. dragged around. It hasn't been playing the revival circuit or anything. It's just, it's been in a vault and now it's out and now it is on Netflix somehow. And what I love is that Dave is clearly a student of animation history because Fleischer was in direct competition with Disney and Disney introduced multi-planet. So Fleischer felt like, well, I got to do something like that. And so they did those 3d turntable things. Yeah. It's crazy. I know you, you haven't started watching it. Have you Jim, but on Twitter today, there was an animator who showed off the scene that he animated where the devil confronts the dice guy Yes. And they, they actually do a sweep around the room 3D thing. And it's yes. this beautiful piece of what looks like 2D animation in a 3D environment that mimics that effect from the 3D stereo sets. Yes. And if you read the article, I linked out to a YouTube clip of Popeye who, who's just walking down the street mm-hmm. with, with Sweet Pea. And it's just there is nothing happening, but it is just the most amazing model work. And mm-hmm. I assume it's it was much easier to do this now, but the fact that they were projecting, they were putting cells up in front of this 3D backdrop while it was moving, I cannot imagine how tough that was, but it, it was an amazing effect. And the fact that they brought it back for this one, they had to, an, you know, kind of audition all these animation houses and one mm-hmm. finally said, oh my God, we've been dying to do something like this. So mm-hmm. it looks really, really good. And it's in color, which you know, the Fleischer stuff was not. So mm-hmm. it's really cool. You're going to love it, Jim, is what I'm trying to tell you. Can't wait. Can't wait. But so just bowed on Netflix, February 18th, 36 episodes total, but but we only get what? 12 now? I think 12 now. Yeah. They're about 15 minutes long. So they're, they're longer than your typical 11 minute block, but they are not that long. So you can watch okay. a few. I watched almost all of them in, the, in a row. So cool. yeah, okay. it's really I- great. All right, I will do that this weekend. But oddly, a great transition point to our next thing. They, Chris Miller and Phil Lord's latest project over at Apple TV, After Party, which is a murder mystery, which kind of an interesting gimmick that, that each episode is done in a different style and done from a different 
character's point of view. So one episode, for example, was done as a, a movie musical, and we're now up to episode six, where Chris and Phil really took a departure, right? Yeah, this is a, a almost completely animated episode, and for fans of Mitchell's versus the Machines, which I mm-hmm. know there are many that listen to this show, mm-hmm. the episode was art directed by the great uh, Lindsay Oliveris, who did was the production designer on Mitchell's versus the Machines, and was responsible for that great aesthetic that mm-hmm. we all fell in love with from the get go from that movie. So when they decided to do this show. The idea of doing an animated episode was one of the very first concepts, right? But they then realized that we're going to have to, like, start immediately, right? Yeah, they were sending Lindsay photos of characters in their costume tests, like in their Mm -hmm. photo tests, and sending them and saying, okay, now you can start designing the characters. This is their outfit for the show, Mm -hmm. you know, because it takes place all over one night. Yep. So, yeah, it was before, I think, before prin- principal photography had even started, mm-hmm. and it was the last episode to be finished. But the the reason they why they wanted to do that mm-hmm. was that they didn't want to finish shooting and then wait six or eight months to get all the animation back. They were done with principal photography. Uh, they started editing the show, and the animated episode came in pretty soon after. So now it can be aired alongside all the others, and it's not like, you know... We're not waiting six months for the animated one or something. So, But it's still an animated show. You still right. got to paint the backgrounds. But the thing when you're shooting a live action is you don't lock what the set looks like until it's time to shoot. And so right. the whole notion of, oh, we finally figured out what the living room looks like. Take a picture and send it to the animators or the background painters. And then just getting the actual vocals from the actors And then After Party is supposed to be a murder mystery, which means that in addition to animating this, because when you get to the finale, the murder will get revealed. So there also had to be really for real clues in episode six, right? Yes. Well, I mean, everybody who's seen anything that Lord and Miller have done, they know that they love Easter eggs and clues, but... Chris was very adamant about this, you know, really pointing to who the murderer is. So if you go back and rewatch all the episodes, including the animated episode, those clues will be there. And he also hinted that there could be an animated episode in season two and not traditionally animated, maybe stop motion, maybe CGI. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities. So check it out. Okay, can't wait. But again, that's After Party on Apple TV Plus and new episodes stream weekly. And now, finally, was Lin-Manuel Miranda as relaxed as he seems to be in the story? I mean, he really overshares in this, <laughs> this you know, in this article, Drew. Well, I think he's, he found a kindred spirit, obviously, in someone who loves Encanto mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And he, off interview, he said, you know, I spent 11 years on Vivo and I spent five years on Encanto. So he mm-hmm. is just happy to not be behind his desk at the moment. So, you know, he was just feeling good, feeling free. He's got that Oscar nomination. You know, everything's good with Lin-Manuel. Difference between Encanto and Moana is is Moana, Lin was brought in relatively late. A lot of the film, you know, had been settled on story-wise characters, that sort of thing. And he was, you know, came in to work on the songs. Whereas, was it Jared and and Byron who credited Lynn with actually coming up with the story or or the idea of at least the setting of the movie? Yeah, they had wanted to do a movie about a family and Lynn 
suggested that it be set in Latin America. And mm-hmm. that was it. They were off and Lynn went on the research trip with them to Colombia and he has been, you know, an integral part of it. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's got a story credit. So I don't think that has happened with a songwriter since Howard Ashman. Back in the, the golden era. So, yeah. Yeah. And remember that Lind has also been working on the, the live action version, the reimagining of The Little Mermaid that Disney's doing. But he talked about how when he, he finally got to Disney, one of the very first things he asked for when he was at Disney, there's a, an hour and a half long recording of Howard talking to the the animation team on Little Mermaid, walking them through the score and explaining why certain numbers are really important or how certain numbers work. And we've only seen little bits of pieces of this. I think there's chunks of it in Waking Sleeping Beauty and even in the Howard documentary, right? Yes, so Don Hahn has a copy of this, clearly, if they're in both of his movies. Yeah, and he's got a share. Yes. But yeah, I mean, he talks about, I mean, for example, you, you in this article, you get him to talk about how, for example, Fathoms Below, the first number in the film, is a head fake, because it's not really so much a song as it is, how it lays out the world of this movie. You know, you start on Prince Eric's boat and you eventually end all the way down in the, you know, you follow that fish that escapes to King Triton's kingdom, but it, it sort of establishes the world. Whereas part of your world, Lynn enthuses about how that song shows off Howard's skills as a playwright. Yeah. He talked about how he loved these little moments which are very sort of colloquial but Mm. also really get to the heart of the character and he said that there was a moment like that in in canto which is in when isabella in what else can i do sings i'm so sick of pretty i want something true don't you and he said Mm -hmm. that kills me for some reason Mm -hmm. because it really feels like it erupts out of some deeper place that is not what we've been hearing so far so pretty cool no, and that's the thing. I love, for example, when he talks about, we don't talk about Bruno. He says, look, that song is a Trojan horse. And if you look at that song, it provides a lot of screen time for characters that haven't necessarily gotten a lot of screen time up until that time. And you learn more about the characters because they're in this song, not right. just Bruno. On the other hand, can you tell the story about how... He discovered Bruno was blowing up? Well, he said that after, at the end of last year, he had gotten, you know, Encanto was out. He had finished Tick, Tick, Boom, his movie for Netflix, mm-hmm. and that he and his wife just went on vacation, and he turned his phone off, and, and it wasn't until he came back that he started to realize, oh, this is this is a thing, because mm-hmm. he ca- kept getting emails from old friends who had said, my, my kids can't stop singing this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people who he hadn't kept in touch with Uh, reached out and said how much their family was enjoying Encanto. So it was a real eye-opening experience when he got back to know just how big this entire soundtrack really was becoming. I love that you got him to talk about how We Don't Talk About Bruno is the equivalent of Stephen Sondheim sent in the clowns. Well, he, he said that, you know, because... Send in the Clowns was Sondheim's only number one. And it's not a, you know, it's a it's a fine song, but it's not like some big showstopper. No. And he said that about, we don't talk about Bruno. Like you said, it's it's really a, 
Song used to deploy character development mm-hmm. and character insight because there are so many characters in Encanto. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it's not a natural choice for a number one song, and yet here we are, Jim. Here we are. All right. <laughs> they submitted the musical numbers to the Academy back in November, and the song that Disney submitted for Academy Award consideration was not. We don't talk about Bruno, but I'm and I'm gonna bobble the name again. Dos Origitos. Dos Origitos, yes. I got it right. Hey, okay. But can you talk about how Lynn's okay with this? Again, by way of Moana, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he was very open and honest about the process. And again, they submitted it, like you said, way before Mm -hmm. it hit Disney Plus and became this cultural kind of like moment. So Mm -hmm. he said that he wanted to submit a song that kind of sums up the movie emotionally, and Mm -hmm. that is Dos Orguitos. But they've been through this. And in Kent or in uh, Moana, because, you know, he was saying, you know, it's very tempting to submit your welcome. You know, you got the you'd have the the rock performing the, the number at the Oscars and a tux. I mean, how delicious is that? Um, but, you know, they went with how far I'll go because it's the kind of emotional core of that movie. And he called Dos Orguidos the heart song, you know, for Encanto. And he's right. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, those Origitos, and I, the NPR earlier this week, Juana uh, 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 Summers uh, interviews Sebastian Yarda. He's the, the gentleman who actually sings Doris Guidos in, in the soundtrack for Encanto. Sebastian is from Colombia, and he was one of those people who had heard coming out of the D23 Expo that Disney was going to do their first animated feature set in Colombia. And so uh, we jump ahead a couple of months. Sebastian had sung a song that Lynn had heard and thought, this is the guy we want to sing this song. And so the the story that uh, Sebastian shared was my manager, Paula, called me and said, hey, Sebas, they're calling from Lin-Manuel Miranda and the Disney team for the movie Encanto. And I said, I didn't even finish listening. I said, yes, whatever they tell you, say yes. And obviously I said, yes. And it's to sing one of the movies, a song for the movie. And then they go into the studio and initially he sings a song in English and they then sings the song in Spanish. And then they had a conversation about it. Normally it's all right. So the Spanish version that would play in Latin America and the English version will play Northern 48 and like, but the Spanish version was so powerful and so much more emotional. And they made the call to the effect of, no, this is the version that plays worldwide. Sebastian goes on to say, even if you are listening to the movie in Chinese, when the part with Doris Arguedos comes in, you hear it in Spanish, uh, which is the first time this has happened in the history of a Disney movie. And again, I love that you got him to talk about the live action version of The Little Mermaid. And right. this is a guy who's a huge uh, Howard Ashman fan, Howard Ashman, and he's working with Alan Menken on new songs for it. So can you first talk about what's going on with the original score? Yeah, well, he he stressed that all of your favorite songs from Little Mermaid will still be there. Mm-hmm. He says that he has contributed three or four songs. He says, I've heard that the latter is true. So we'll mm-hmm. see how many remain in the movie. But he's not in it. I, I thought for sure he would find a way to get make a cameo, much like his uh, Piragua guy from In the Heights, uh, the, the shaved yeah. ice seller. But no, he is not in it at all. He was going to visit the set, but of course, COVID complicated things. And he also said that Alan Minkin has seen a rough cut and Minkin approves. So that is always a good sign. 
So three or four new songs, and again, we're not deliberately being vague here. It's because the the film isn't locked yet. We don't know if three of the new songs are going to make it in or four of the new songs, right? Yes. Yeah. It's still in, you know, I'm sure the, the puppets are still there, but yeah. <laughs> there no, Henson go. made puppets for this movie, right? Did I tell you that? No. They, they created, yeah, they created puppets as stand-ins, much like they did for um, Jungle Book. Much like their crummy uh, Disney Channel Little Mermaid show from a million years uh, ago. God. Just this week on Twitter, I was watching or, you know, somebody go off about, you don't understand, Sebastian can't have teeth. <laughs> you know, in, in, <laughs> in, in this I mean, I know what you saw from the original animated from 88 or thereabouts. He can't have teeth. You know, just, <laughs> he's a crab. It's not going to work out. So anyway, folks, big, big week. And again, you did such a great job with all three of these stories over at the wrap. Seriously, folks, you got to go over and read the full interview with Lynn. Likewise, the, the full interview with Chris and, and, and Phil and, and even the one with Dave. You got to watch that or read that before you then sit down and watch, you know, all 12 of the Cuphead shows. Now, I have to admit the terrific Light Diffuse podcast. You have been on such a crazy run of shows. In fact, you're doing your last set with Mr. Bissell, right? Yes. Jim Bissell, the production designer behind E.T., The Rocketeer, Arachnophobia, which going back to our Roger Rabbit story, that, that is a key part of the Roger there Rabbit saga. Yeah. And, and so you hear actually this week him tell an amazing story about where the kind of like dome that the, the space guys put over Elliot's house came from and how originally they were just going to go to a hospital, but they had this kind of last minute change of heart and he designed this whole pseudo futuristic mm -hmm. fumigation tent for Elliot's house. So it's really fun. He's awesome. He's in his seventies and really does not care whose feelings he hurts anymore. And it is great. I was just telling my sister-in-law tonight that's, that you want to interview people in their seventies because they still remember you get all the great details, but their filters are gone. Yes. You get the very best stories from 70 year olds, but seriously, if you're not following Drew on social media, well, first of all, you miss out on being among the first to do things like read these great stories he's writing for the rap. Can you tell people where they can find you on social oh, media? Oh, yes. Uh, Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt on Instagram and Twitter. Speaking of, of social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And that's going to do it, folks, for this week. Mr. Taylor needs to go lie down because you wrote 18, 20 articles for, for the rap. And, yeah, know, I had one day off last week <sighs> and... Uh... Go oh, relax, and uh, we will be back with a brand new show this time next week. Till then, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.